0: guys, welcome back to the Wentworth CM Club podcast. This is your host, Chase K. Cook, along with co-hosts Adam and Zach. And today we have two special guests. We have Marie and Doug from Pranath Tracked Vehicles.
1: Doug, if you could, we were curious to hear more of a brief history of Pranath, the kinds of vehicles that you make and some of the off-road uh, and special applications of them.
2: Okay. Well, Prenoth is a Tracked Vehicle Specialist. We have three lines of vehicles. Everything is on tracks, some steel tracks, rubber tracks, but everything is on tracks. There's no wheels in our, in our existence anywhere. Uh, and Prenoth is the evolution of a couple of companies that started quite a long time ago. Uh, a Canadian company, Bombardier, started in the late 1930s, 1939 actually, and an Italian, Northern Italian company, Prenoth, which started um, in the early 50s in uh, Northern Italy, in Sotiro. They were both working on tracked vehicles of different types for different applications but they were both traveling a sort of a parallel existence there for a while Um, and it was really just to make life easier in winter climates you know to to be able to travel over snow more easily um, to be able at one point in time to manipulate snow for skiing applications and that's how they started. Uh, At one point in time um the Canadian company Bombardier got interested in more industrial types applications uh, not so much working in the snow industry and uh, so they started to work on an earlier line of vehicles th- that we have today um and in the early 2000s Prenoth bought uh this division of uh Bombardier actually had sold it to another Canadian company Camelplast and then in in 2006 Preenath started to the purchase of, of the track vehicle division from Camelplast at that point in time. And uh, not too long after Prenoth purchased the entire company, which probably ended in 2008, then, then we went to work to, to sort of modernize and, and renovate the, the lines of vehicles that were in existence, which brings us to what we have today. So, Our part of the business, the the industrial side or the utility side, they're called Panthers. All the vehicles are called Panthers. Uh, And we have uh, seven vehicles in the lineup and they can do all kinds of things. They can be used for very simple things. We have a little tiny one that plows sidewalks in villages or cities rather. Uh, And we have every size up to a 22 ton payload vehicle that can carry all types of equipment. They can carry dump boxes for moving just sand and gravel and dirt they you can mount them with cranes you can mount them with uh digger um, derricks hydro vacuums uh, cement mixers almost anything that you could possibly think that would go on the back of a truck can be mounted on the new line of vehicles the panther vehicles and the size is dictated by the size of the tool that you need to do
1: i already want one <laughs>
2: i saw some pictures on
1: instagram and said you know i I have no use for that personally but i would love to have one
2: no same here i saw
3: saw the big ones i just like i was like i want to i want to hop in one of them i want to i want to make a slope right now
2: but the good thing for city dwellers is you can park them wherever you want it doesn't matter if there's space or not you know little flashing lights you you can park wherever (laughs) And we now have, Preenath, as I mentioned earlier, there are now three divisions. So the snow division is still there, which is grooming machines for alpine ski areas, for cross-country ski areas, for snowmobile trail systems, um, and, and just general transport, even to the point where in Western North America, Western Canada, Western US, there are farmers use them to get feed and hay out to their animals out in the fields in the winter time. So anything, that has to do with snow, that line of vehicles can cover pretty much. Um, There's another line of vehicles known as vegetation management. And these are basically land clearing vehicles. So they do prep work for building sites, for roadways, uh, right of ways if they're building a hydro or not a hydroelectric line, but a a electric utility line, uh, a pipeline, a gas line, they can do all of this type of preparation. They're basically machines that will walk into a forest and just eat the forest and they spit it out in um, in wood uh, chips so it's completely compostable it'll go back into the ground you don't really have to do much after those machines have passed and you're ready to start construction. Out of that group also comes a full line of attachments to go on the the um, the booms of excavators on front of skin steers. Uh, on agricultural tractors, but all for the same reason to either clear land or to maintain right of ways like along roadways or hydro lines or whatever the case may be. And then there's our division, the utility division. And, and we work in, in a multitude of industries. So it can be anything from the oil and gas industry, mining, um, the electric utility industry, forestry, um, general construction, road construction, Uh, remediation work uh, uh, along rivers and and waterways, um, disaster repair after hurricanes or tornadoes have hit shorelines. Um, All of this type of work can be done and and as I mentioned earlier the vehicles can be very simple with just a dump box on the back or they can have any type of equipment, big equipment that would be needed to, to do mining exploration, to do forestry harvesting, to do um, carry concrete uh, to, to pour bases for whatever in the middle of nowhere, um, to build uh, electric utility lines. So you can put any of that type of equipment on the back of them when you need to go off-road. So that, that's basically where we came from and what we do today.
1: That's awesome. really sounds like you have all the bases covered, really anything you need to do, you could do.
0: No type of land, terrain, territory, none of those are too difficult for those <laughs> truck vehicles, it sounds like.
2: <laughs> well, that's true. You need, to, you need to understand that if people can use wheels, they'll use wheels. They're faster, they're cheaper, they're more readily available, and you can get, there's much more choices what you can get in wheels. But when you get to a point where you can no longer go anywhere with a truck, then you need our type of equipment. And uh, so where you need to travel off-road, where the terrain is difficult, either mountainous or swampy, uh, these kind of things, track vehicles are very, um, very useful and and that's where they shine. And what is becoming more and more important as people are more and more conscious of environment is that if you're working in sensitive areas, um, track vehicles are the answer because even the biggest one that you saw, the 22 ton vehicle, when it's fully loaded, it has a, a ground pressure of a around five and a half six pounds per square inch, which for the size of the vehicle and the amount of weight it carries is it's a whole lot lighter than any of us when we stand up on the same ground. So um, that's where that's where these vehicles shine. That's where they really shine is in those three three areas. So,
3: so what originally had like brought us in and drawn our, our attention uh, to you guys was the mobile concrete mixer. So, could you talk a little bit about like the design and like its capabilities and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, well, the one the one I'm sure that you are referring to is um, is quite a large one, and it's a project that came about almost two years ago now, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. There was a company working on Pike's Peak actually that that needed to be getting large amounts of concrete to the top of Pike's Peak. They were building a, a weather station and and uh, an observation station up there and they needed to get concrete up there. And they were burning the transmissions out of trucks like crazy, going up and down the slope. So they thought of tracked vehicles. We got the request from the, the, the company through one of our, our really good partners, Multi Machine, uh, which is a, a huge rental house, track vehicle specialists. Um, they're based in New Jersey, but they basically cover the entire Northeast of the US. So the, the, the request came through them. It, it came into our place. We have um, an applications department in the engineering. And so they figure out some of these problems, how to mount equipment, how to hook it up to the power packs, so it, it runs properly and so on. So the engineers in that group, they did a lot of work. Um, we contacted McNeilis, which is uh, uh, probably the leader in North America of building um, cement mixers. Um, And we contacted them to see if they would be interested in working with us on this, and they were. Um, So the two engineering groups went to to work to try and figure out how to make this thing fit on the back of the Panther, um, how to make it run properly and to solve some of the problems that we knew were going to happen. So that work was done mostly at Prenoth. And then when it came time to actually do the installation, Multi-Machine took over again and they did most of the installation, the tie-in of the the cement mixer itself into the power pack of the vehicle. Uh, They did some testing and then they were ready to go. The one that you see the videos of is quite a big cement mixer. It's nine cubic yards. Um, But as you can appreciate when you're working on slopes, they were not able to put nine cubic yards in it because as soon as you start to climb it starts slopping out the back. Not good for anyone. so as uh, so, they decided that they needed the nine cubic yard, just the same and, but they were only ever going to load it with six cubic yards and that that worked well. It solved the problem. At one point in time, I believe there was three of these units working on that project. And it was such a high visibility project that now there's demand for them all over the place doing all different types of, of construction work. And there's, the last count, I believe there's another four or five in production and another three or four on order as well. So it's an application and a, a package that was put together that has become extremely popular very quickly. Um, so that, that big concrete mixture is the one that catches everybody's attention, but there are also a bunch of smaller ones out there that have been used for much smaller projects, much less sexy projects. Uh, but they've been running around for a while too, as as small as two or three cubic yards, um, either concrete mixers or concrete plants. I, you probably understand the difference there, but but concrete plants in a smaller application are much more popular. Usually, the travel distances are further, so it's easier to mix the concrete once you get to, to your work site rather than trying to transport it and keep it soft and liquidy as as you're traveling along. So, but it's become a good part of our business and a very visible part of our business as well.
1: Yeah. In um, March, I was at Con Expo down in Las Vegas. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. We were there. Last oh, week. were
2: you? That's, That's too. last bad. time we I left know. home.
1: <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: obviously I didn't see your booth there. I, I really wish at the time I knew, but I saw, you know, they had a couple of these massive concrete plants that were huge. Yeah. So I could see how something like that off-road could be very useful when you know you don't have enough time i think normally it's like 90 minutes that you can really have concrete in the truck before you have to pour it so exactly you know if you're exactly. going to be traveling for more than two hours you you need another solution And when you're traveling off road you're never
2: traveling very fast you can always just travel as fast as your train will allow you to so yeah that's where uh, a concrete plant becomes an advantage rather than a than a mixer that just keeps it moving for a certain period of time before it starts to 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 harden up so
1: yeah and these concrete plants too i've heard you can make all different types of concrete because it's all computer controlled and you can control the ingredients and the additives and the admixtures to make all different kinds if you needed to so that's
2: pretty cool that's correct yeah and now the, the the main the main use for these things now i the pike's peak project is pretty much finished to the best of my knowledge they might have a little bit of work to do the spring once the snow's gone but that one's more or less done Um, the the contractor that did the first part he kind of specializes in that type of work and so he's got a bunch of other projects lined up uh, in hard to reach areas and and that's where the demand is coming from for those but the other the other big ones right now that as you can well imagine you know big um, uh, electric transmission lines the big steel towers they all have concrete bases so these things are now starting to go on to those jobs because it's easy to get concrete out into um very difficult areas get the bases poured in a in a fairly quick manner and 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 move on from there so and now that people see the efficiency of these things they're getting used in more and more types of work as as people's imaginations kind of take them there so
1: that's awesome to hear it. and uh, i just find it all this equipment so fascinating and you know like i said i want one for myself you know
4: just <laughs> to have. Uh, zach we might not be able to get you uh your own but you would definitely be invited to come and try them once the borders open up again and everything we would love to have you guys
1: yeah i think that would be fun if we could uh arrange for sure. something like
2: that yeah at the factory travel. we have quite a large testing ground there there's hills to climb there's muddy swamps to go through there's all kinds of stuff there so yeah it's it's all right there behind the building so it's easy enough to do that would that be fun. fun
3: that sounds like a fun uh, cm club group bonding
4: uh <laughs> <laughs> order your passports now so you guys can all
0: come up when everything opens up it would be super fun This this question is pertaining to um, repairs and modifications and, you know, tell us a little bit about this. Do customers often install their own equipment onto the vehicles or is there some kind of standard mounting system for the main deck so attachments are interchangeable and what is available as far as electric or hydraulic or air hookups on the vehicles?
2: Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, not that long ago, uh, about uh, ten years ago now, we started to renovate and modernize the line of vehicles. The the predecessor to the Panthers was a line of vehicles called GoTrax or GTs, um, and they were they were very popular in their own right, um, quite good vehicles also, but they were old technology in a lot of ways, not just the um, the, the diesel technology and the electronics that were in them, but the 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 idea of chassis concept and all of these different things that go into building a vehicle like this was was the old way of thinking. So the, the Panther project came about and it was uh, the idea was to renovate it, bring it into um, modern times. One of the big drivers at that time was um, engine emissions and we were moving from tier three towards tier four. So we thought it was the perfect opportunity to to give the lineup a facelift. The Panthers were born, um, but we did a lot of things with the vehicle that that made um, adding equipment to them or doing modifications to vehicles themselves, very, very simple. So one of the big things we did was we adopted a truck style chassis, exactly the same dimensions as any big over the road trucks, International, Kenworth, Peterbilt, All of those trucks that if you've ever seen a bare chassis of those, um, the C channels sticking out the back, um, our vehicles look the very same when there's nothing on them. So um, we adopted that type of chassis with exactly the idea in mind that it's much easier for people to uh, adopt equipment to go on the back and fit equipment on the back. Because every tool that anyone wants to take off road was originally built to go on the back of a truck. That was its first um, version or first life, I guess was to be mounted on trucks. And so um, we just thought it would be very simple for people to do that. That's what we did. And it's been in many ways, a bit of a game changer for this industry. People can now install equipment very easily and quickly because they're used to doing it on trucks all the time. There's no special welding to be done. There's no special brackets to be made. Um, there's no holes to be drilled in in fairly thick steel in order to pass hoses or electronic wires or these kind of things. So um, that was a that was a big thing for the vehicle in general. Now moving on, we've developed over the last number of years an applications group, and these guys will will look at and evaluate any project that any customer wants. Um, so if you come to us and you want to put um, I don't know, let's say a hydro seeder on the back of one of these things because you do um, revegetation work after a pipeline has been built. Um, so you can come to us and say, you can give us all the parameters. We, we want uh, to be able to hold this many gallons of mixture to seed. Uh, we need to be able to clean the tank out before we drive back to refill it. Um, we need to have so many uh, uh, acres of autonomy. All of, you give us all the parameters that you need to do your job and our application engineers will sit down, they'll figure out what you need, they will contact other suppliers that, that are specialists in that type of equipment and they will figure out a way to put it on. They'll figure out a way to put it on, they'll figure out a way to hook it up, um, how to optimize the use of it. And the best, the best example there is that all of these types of equipment comes with its own power pack. So we'll all have a small diesel engine um, that will run just the hydro or the or whatever the, the tool is. Um, and if we take that off and tie it into the engine on the vehicle, the advantages there are you save a lot of weight. So in the case of a hydro seeder, all of a sudden you can go from a, a 3000 gallon tank to a 5,000 gallon tank because all the weight of the engine that was with that is gone. You can use it now in, in mixture. Um, so it gives the vehicle much more autonomy. You get much more work done more quickly, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a very specific example. But but our applications engineers figure all that stuff out and, um, and can deliver a turnkey package to the customer built exactly to his specs. That's one way of doing it. But it also because the vehicles are so easy to work on, there are a lot of, as you well know, there's a lot of very um, talented people figuring out these problems on their own. Uh, and so they'll just buy either a bare vehicle or a vehicle with just a flat deck on it and they will start to install their own equipment. And even there we help them out as much as we possibly can or as much as they want is probably a better way to put it. But we, we have an installation guide that tells people how to find the center of mass for the vehicle and depending on the, the dimensions of whatever they want to put on, how to position it so that it optimizes the center of mass how to attach it? How to tie in the hydraulics? How to tie in the electronics? So we we provide at the purchase of a vehicle, we provide this type of assistance as well. If they run into a problem, they can call one of the application engineers, and and they'll spend you know in half an hour an hour on the phone with them, helping them solve their problems, and then and then away they go again. So so we can do both there. It, it's very simple. And with the truck style chassis, as I said, that was. For tracked vehicles, that was a game changer because we were the only ones um, that had a true truck truck style chassis, and we're still the only ones that have a true truck style chassis. Some, some of the competitors have tried to figure it out a little bit, but so far we're, we're pretty much alone in, in offering that, that service to our customers.
1: I guess that makes perfect Sorry. sense. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, I guess that makes perfect sense. And it's something I've never thought about. I see these trucks all the time with specialized bodies on them. And, you know, it would only make sense that you want to make yours as close to that as possible for the ease of it all and just the wide uh, variety of equipment that's already out there that you could fit to what you have to offer.
2: And it's been, it's been quite successful because if we, if you look at one, let's say you want to install a 30 ton crane on the back of one of our vehicles. With the old style chassis, it was taking, and we're partners with two or three OEMs that that's their specialty is aerial devices, cranes and so on. So with the old style chassis, to, to install a 30 ton crane, it would take them as much as three weeks in their shop to get it up and running where it doesn't take anywhere that long on a truck. And now with ours, it's not quite as easy as a truck because you have to deal with tracks. You can't like, as you can imagine, the space between the wheels isn't open, so it's not so easy for guys to get in and out and work and so on. But, but the chassis itself is the same. And they've gone from three weeks installation time down to five, six, seven days. So they've about cut it in half, which is all money in the end of the day. You know, it's money for them. They get a vehicle ready. Uh, if it's going to an end customer, they get paid faster. If it's going into a rental fleet, it can go to work faster and start to make money on its own. so so that's a, a big big advantage for them for anybody, any of the OAM partners we have that mount equipment it's been it's been a big advantage for them and they appreciate it very much.
1: So while we're talking about you know these vehicles being out in some extreme, and far away terrain, as far as like parts and repairs, are, you know, some of these parts, are they custom? You know, if a hose um, breaks or something like that, or is this something that you could find relatively easily or that any uh, mechanic for
2: one of these places would have on hand? Um, That's a good question. Our our spare parts business is, is split in half. There are, because of the uniqueness of the vehicles, uh, especially the chassis, the undercarriage, the cab. Um, you know, most of the parts in those parts and those sections of the vehicle are proprietary parts. So we build the wheels and the sprockets and the idlers and um, uh, the tandems and and the cab mounts and and what goes into the cab. That that is all stuff that that we. Well, we don't build everything ourselves. We have con or not contractors, but other suppliers build it for us, but they build them specifically to our specs. So those parts are available through us and our partners. It's, you can't really get them anywhere else. But then on the other side, when you start to deal with hydraulics and hydrostatics, that stuff is common everywhere. Um, And as much as we want people to come um, and buy hydraulic hoses, hydrostatic hoses, valves, all these things from us. If you're in a really tight spot, any hydraulic shop can build you hoses. Any hydraulic shop can can redo a valve for you, those kind of things. So your downtime is minimized and and your backup working uh as fast as possible. The engine itself, all the engines we use are caterpillar. And as you all well know, there's a caterpillar store on every third corner wherever you go. So if you need filters and uh those kind of things those are very easily available. We sell them as well, but but people always source that stuff as you know, as close to where they are as possible. So, and it's very easy for them to do that. So it's kind of half and half, there's half proprietary parts in there and there are half parts that you can get wherever you need them, whenever you need them so that you can you can minimize your downtime and, and keep the vehicle working as much as possible.
1: And that's another question I had too about the engines. Uh, I was curious, they obviously must be, I know you build them in Canada and you often sell to the US too. So this, these equipment must be compatible or not compatible. I should say But the equipment must work with the US emissions standards and with the Caterpillar engines, I would imagine it, it must, right? When you're importing it into the US.
2: Yes. Um, Yes, they do. And, and emissions are not just a US concern. It's a, it's a global concern. And to be honest with you, Europe is always the leader of the band. Um, Europe is even ahead of California and California is ahead, as you well know, of everywhere else in North America. They always want to be the first to have the cleanest emissions and they have been doing that for a very long time. But Europe is always a step ahead of them. So if you if we go back, I don't know, 20 years or so when when what was known as an engine, a diesel engine, that's all there was and they were all the same. and they all spewed out these huge black puffs of smoke and that was just the kind of the way it was. And then as air quality became more of a concern for the global population, restrictions were put on these things and Caterpillar being arguably, maybe not today, but back then they were arguably the largest engine manufacturer in the world. They had no choice but to be able to meet the regulations um, wherever it was they wanted to sell their products. Um, And that's what started. Uh, And so the evolution started from a diesel engine to a tier two engine, which was just a higher emission standard, to a tier three engine, which was higher still, um, to a tier four and a tier four final. And now we're moving on to tier four final stage five is the new thing. Um, And those laws were to be completely enforced in Europe as of January 1st this year, January 1st 2021, but because of COVID the European Union pushed everything back a year so um, it will become law on January 1st 2022. Having said that, all the manufacturers started to gear up for January 1st twenty-one. so uh, stage five is is in Europe now and it's being very widely used in Europe and all the vehicles that we build and are sending to Europe since probably October of last year have tier four final stage five engines in them. So the cleanest engines that are available right now. It will next in North America, California will be the first ones to start requiring that probably by the end of this year as well. So. Um, we're already, we're ready for them. So we just start sending those vehicles there, but the rest of North America can still use just tier four final engines. Um, and so we will keep building until people don't want them anymore or the laws get to a point where we cannot sell them anymore and then then we'll move forward. So, but in terms of tracked vehicles, we've been on the leading edge all along since all of these migrations from one level of emission standard to another started, Preenath has been, a company that's been out front all the time. Good or bad, we've always been out front and it's been greatly appreciated by our customer base because as time goes on and the environment becomes more and more front of mind to most people globally, um, uh, air quality is a big deal. And so when, when governments or, or private industry is putting contracts out to bid, more and more emission standards are being stipulated So people know that if they need tracked vehicles and and high emission standards are being requested, they can get that stuff from us and they they don't have to worry about losing business that way.
1: Yeah, there's a lot that goes into these diesel engines and certainly the emission standards can get really uh, complicated when you start looking at, you know, the US versus Canada, the US versus Europe, and then the individual states or the individual provinces, you know, all have slightly different rules um so it's definitely i can imagine a lot to coordinate
2: it is i i must admit going from tier four final to tier four final stage five has been much much easier than going from tier three to tier four tier three to tier four was a nightmare everybody as you said zach everybody was different and it could be state to state province to province continent to continent um it was a nightmare to manage we did pretty well i think we we came through quite well but it was not easy and uh but this this migration to stage five has been much, much easier because it, the timing of it seems to be much, I don't know if it's necessarily coordinated um, globally, but it just maybe, luckily the, the timing of it being installed, it just seems to be following a, a more logical pattern and it's easier f- for a manufacturer to keep up with, so.
1: Was tier four where the, um, the diesel um like the diesel particulate filters and the diesel emission yeah. systems were implemented
2: that's right that's where where yeah reg- regeneration units or afterburn units or there's a whole pile of names for them that's where it came in between uh, tier three which virtually had uh, no way of cleaning what was coming out of the engine before it went into the air to tier four where you know different manufacturers did it in, did it in different ways but the idea was to get rid of a lot of the, the carbon, a lot of the carbon monoxide before it went out into the atmosphere. And, that, and that's where the big change happened. Now, the change from tier four final to stage five is they're just refining and improving that process. Um, so, and, and as with any type of technology, the way they do it gets more um, efficient it gets smaller, therefore it takes up less room on the, on the engine itself in the vehicle itself, um, which makes life a little bit easier for people who use engines to manufacture vehicles. So that's the next step. So the air coming out of a stage five is, there's not a whole lot in there when it when it gets spit out into the atmosphere. There's there's not very much coming out except hot oxygen or, or hard, hot carbon dioxide. There's not a whole lot. In there, so
1: yeah and that's obviously what we all want uh yeah exactly
2: earth and the air that's on it we
1: all want to be breathing something as clean as possible exactly um and i know that these emission systems at least for a little while it was popular for people to delete you know these systems off and take off the diesel particulate filters and the egr systems which of course they quickly came back and said no you can't do that you know defeats the whole purpose because you know in the beginning i think some of them were a little uh temperamental but now they're just you know they get better all the time and now they're now as long
2: as they're taken care of properly like you would take care of any engine properly they work they work like a charm they're they're virtually maintenance free if you take care of them properly and do what you need to do when you need to do it same as anything else um Unfortunately, there are still big parts of the world where you can still use a tier two engine or a tier three engine, that's still perfectly fine. And even more than fine in some places, it's necessary because of the quality of fuel they use. They just couldn't, they don't have a a high enough quality fuel that that would um, allow it to work properly in a tier four or a tier four stage five engine. They just don't, there's too much humidity. Too much dirt, too much water, too much all kinds of stuff. So it would ruin, or the, the engines just wouldn't run. So no work would get done. But they're they're slowly being pulled along, and they will get to where we are today at some point in time. No idea when, but they will get there sooner or later.
0: So um, we would like um, to let our listeners know where they can find you if they're interested, and. Um, can you speak a little bit about positions, like what's available in the house? And is there a possibility for interns or co-ops for those who are interested?
4: Yeah, yeah, sure. I can maybe take uh, take this que- these questions. So first, just regarding interns. Uh, so at Preenath, we have interns every semester. And there's a few schools around where we live. They actually have like structured co-op programs. So we get a lot of interns for various uh departments, whether it's marketing, engineering, finance, procurement, I mean, I mean, we're very open to that. Um, I don't know, because of immigration laws and work permits, or what have you, if it would be possible for Americans to come and do an intern with us, but we would certainly be interested in trying. Um, And I was talking to our HR department today, and they were saying like, Yes, as soon as COVID is over, if if students from that school think that there would be a fit, we would be super interested in talking to them. Um, so I think that if you, in your call, uh, your not colleagues but uh, <laughs> folks at your school are, are thinking that Pinot has a as an interest and in, and they wanted to, they wanted to get more information, I would say that we have. Um, we have like, of course, a website and what have you for all that stuff, but we could also just put together like a communication channel between ourselves and, and try to keep uh, talking in the next, let's say six months or whatever. Um, and then let's see what happens. The other thing that we also have is that Prinath has uh, a few, uh, four actually, um, uh, U.S. regional distribution centers across the U.S. To service uh, you know for parts and maintenance and that kind of thing for servicing our customers, so there's also maybe a solution that could uh, be done where the internships could be done from there if if immigration and and, and uh, work laws were not in our favors, for example, so yeah that they fin- we're definitely interested and I was talking about your your school's uh, program is really to me, really different. It's not something I even knew that existed. And I think that we would be really interested in taking a look for sure. Um, Now we you were asking me also where you guys can get some information and stuff. So we of course, we have free which is our website where you can get information about our products and applications in which they're used and all that and find dealers if you're interested. Um, We also have a really great YouTube channel, Know, which we try to populate as much as possible, and Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, and LinkedIn that you guys can follow. One thing for you guys to know is most of our channels are called Prenot and then the products, so snow groomers, track vehicles, or vegetation management. So yeah. Are, are you on gonna...
1: TikTok at all? Sorry. Are you on TikTok
2: at all?
4: No, my daughter is on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. We are not on TikTok yet.
2: We won't be one, one thing. One thing I might kick in here, if I might, is as Mary Ellen said, we have interns all the time. And I would think, and this is just my opinion, but I was thinking as an intern, coming to the factory at Preenath would be a pretty cool place to work. Um, for the simple reason that we have spent, as a company, we've spent a lot of time and energy and effort in the last three, four years of modernizing the way we, we do R&D, the way we do design, the way we do... Uh, manufacturing, and I've visited a lot of, of manufacturing facilities of big equipment, um, all the big names and, and big, other big OEMs, and they, by and large, they're very good at what they do, but they do it what I would call the old-fashioned way, and and the way we do it is pretty compared to sort of the standard. I think is very interesting. So I think for someone to come and and be Immersed in that environment for however long—three months, four months, whatever—an internship would be. It'd be a pretty interesting and and fun experience. I would I would hazard to say. So, um, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty cool place to to spend some time. You know, around in the engineering department, in the R and D department, in the marketing department, um, it, it's it's all open workspaces. People work together. There are little rooms where you can go and. Huddle up on couches or whatever, you know. It's it's just a different way of of looking at the manufacturing industry that that a lot of other big companies don't. So I think it'd be a great place to to do an internship if we can ever get people there at some point in time. So.
4: Uh, and I would I would also add that we we have uh, we ha- it's a great place. Prenot's a really great place to work. To be honest, I, I've been there five years myself, and I've worked in other companies before. And it's a really mm-hmm. open minded. Mentality and, and relaxed atmosphere, and that's not found everywhere. So, that's truly unique, I would say, and, and special about our, our company. And I, I wanted to take the opportunity to open the invitation for, for for real. If you guys are interested in coming and visiting us with your club, organize a bus or what have you, when the, the, the COVID crisis is behind us, uh, we are super interested in having you guys come and. You guys are the future of our uh, industry. So for sure, we'd love to present to you our, our, our factory and everything that we do, it would be super cool. And have you guys test, test drive a couple Panthers it would also be nice.
2: That would be a lot of fun for sure. And just as an extra added bonus, Granby, the town where the factory is, is, is um, reputedly the home of Poutine. So if you're familiar <laughs> with Poutine, that's where it was invented. Just down the well, not down the street, but in, uh,
3: a few years well,
2: away from from the factory. So that's that's where that, get
3: that honestly <laughs> like there. that honestly sounds like the uh, the best trip. Poutine, and <laughs> big, big toys.
4: Yeah, and if you guys come in winter, there's a there's a ski hill right across the, the highway from us. Literally 15 minutes from our plant, and they have night skiing, and it, it's a really super fun place. So the, the invitation is definitely open.
1: You're really checking all the boxes here. You got- <laughs> I know. Eh? <laughs> it hard, it's going to be hard to not go.
4: Yeah, that's it. I've been young before. Trust me. I remember. What so you for like. those
1: listening, where specifically is your, uh, office?
4: Okay. So it's in for Granby, the- Quebec. So essentially it's about, I would say probably i don't know half an hour from the north from the vermont uh, border uh so it's it's highway 91 right doug the, or 89 i never remember
2: yeah uh 89 if you're coming up through yeah. Hampshire, and 91 if you're coming up to vermont yeah.
4: so yeah so it's it's that way and it's yeah just not far f- past the border. from, from burlington to hour. the
2: factory is an hour's drive from burlington Vermont downtown from the, from UVM campus, basically up is an right. hour drive. So yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. So it's definitely doable. It's not, uh, I think sometimes people are a little hesitant about going like really far away to, you know, maybe Western Canada, like British Columbia or something, but not that far away really. No, from no, exactly. Boston,
2: from Boston to the factory would be a three and a half, four hour drive. It's really not that far. You come straight up through, um, so you have through New Hampshire, through the White Mountains there, and then up to the border. And as soon as you get across the border, you, you head west, and we're not very far from there. So.
4: Sometimes yeah. we we get flights out of Boston or out of Manchester because it's cheaper. So it, it's not far. <laughs> if you can drive there for a flight, it's not far at all.
1: I can uh, swing by Adam's house, and we can come up now. Yeah, right? There you
4: go. <laughs> we'll have to quarantine for 14 days now, so you might want to wait a couple months.
1: <laughs> um... So I think this is just the awkward little ending part. Do you guys have uh, any questions for us?
2: Um, just out of personal curiosity, whereabouts is the school in the city? Because I've spent a fair bit of time in Boston, but I can place where the school is.
0: The Fenway area.
2: Okay. Uh, okay. It's
3: right, o- right over by Northeast, and it's pretty much between Northeastern and uh, Mission Hill.
2: Okay.
1: Okay. Do, um You've never been to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum?
2: No, I don't You're think
0: the so. Museum of Fine Arts.
2: Uh, no, I've been there. But I've been by there. I've been. To, I was at Fenway once for a game many years ago, so I know where that is. But uh, yeah,
1: now like a ten-minute walk south. And we always say that being in Boston is really the perfect vocation for our school and our major because like a- there's construction wow. happening
2: at yeah. all hours. One, one thing I would say to you, if if you're interested, is um, on the northeast corner of the city um, is a company, one of our partners, uh, James Kylie and Associates. Uh, he is also a Terex dealer, Terex aerial devices, so cranes and uh, access platforms and those kind of things, um, and he just about always has some of our vehicles in his yard that they're either upfitting or getting ready to deliver to a customer or whatever the case may be Um, so that would be a close place for you folks to maybe go and get to kick the tires so to speak and and have a close look at a vehicle um and if that's of some interest to you you can let us know either through Mary Ellen and I will give Jim a call I talk to Jim on a very regular basis and I could just Kind of do a little introduction there and i'm sure jim would be more than happy to have some people over just to look at machines whenever he had them in his yard there so and you'll see the nice thing with him is you won't see any dump boxes or any sort of plane configurations it's all stuff that has a fairly large tool mounted on the back so um it's quite interesting and it's very close for you so
1: yeah i think i would definitely be interested I'm sure adam too and maybe some uh yeah other friends that would be cool yeah uh
2: yeah. what was the uh what was the name of the company again james Kylie industries i believe it's called i got
4: uh, we can send you guys the link if you want yeah to zach i have email yeah. i have your emails and stuff yeah. so
2: so he's uh yeah and, and jim's a really nice guy he's got two sons probably they're both in university so probably about your age as well and uh, it's a family-run business family-owned and operated business they've been in business for a long time and they do very good business. He's, he's a very good partner of ours in, in New England there. So he's, uh, he's, a, he's a really nice guy. He's a good guy, Jim. So. That's awesome.
4: I also have a question. Do you guys ever, you mentioned, Zach, you mentioned that you went to ConExpo last year. There's also the utility show that happens uh, in, well, usually it's in October this year. It's in September. It's in Louisville, Kentucky. Do you guys ever ever have you guys ever heard of it and do you guys ever go to that?
2: Yeah, I've heard of it. Um it used to be called IQ. This is Yeah, that's it. That's a, a new thing. name. Yeah. Has a new name this year. It's every second year. Every two Yeah, years in Louisville. And it's always in Louisville. Never goes anywhere else.
1: I'm not I'm only a sophomore. I'm not sure if they've gone in the past. I could ask. Um but I feel like I probably would have heard of it. I would have heard someone mention it if they went.
4: Yeah, before, like Doug said, it used to be called the International Construction Utility uh, Exhibit. Equipment I,
2: exhibitors.
4: That's oh. it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah.
2: That would Adam, awesome. an extra, an extra added bonus for you, Adam. You can visit the Louisville Slugger Factory. Yeah,
4: yeah, that's true. And that which, is, is which, really cool. which
2: is, it's a ton of fun to go. I've yeah, been,
4: it
3: is. I've been agree. once.
2: It's I'm just up. a cool place to go. Yeah. I'm, I'm down for it, anything baseball. baseball
4: yeah, yeah. It, seriously in my marketing experience it's the funnest marketing thing i've ever done in my life seriously it is really cool it's yeah. totally worth going I it's in the original it's place where it's point. been for
2: god knows how many years it's yeah in building it
4: yeah, and you can't leave without buying a bat so they've really nailed it out nailed it down for sure
1: yeah <laughs> did you personally go to con expo or was it just a company
4: oh no we were all there, oh, no, there. We, were all there. Yeah, we always go we have a booth yeah. and we are yeah We were there.
2: I don't know how many we were. We were 14, 16 people. Yeah,
4: Yeah. there were less because of COVID. We canceled some. So you're right. We were like 14. Usually we're more around 20, 25, but this year
1: we were. Was your booth inside or was it outside?
4: Yeah, we were in Central Hall, um, very near FAE, actually, if you know FAE, the mulchers. Um, Mm. So in, in. I don't know. I don't remember what else was near to, to us. Yeah, I was trying
2: to think what else was around us, but
4: um anyway, near not in the not in the north hall where John Deere was, but not not far from there.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing John Deere and of course many others, but Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, their
4: boots are always pretty spectacular. All these guys, they have really amazing boots. Well, ours was really nice too, don't get me wrong, but (laughs) it's not the same size, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) I went over to the uh, Volvo booth and I was really hoping to meet the people from Gold Rush, but uh, for whatever reason, they just decided they didn't want to show up on the day that I was there, which I was really.
4: Oh. Oh, that's too bad. But I know that uh, there were some companies because of the COVID scare, there were lots of companies that were canceling and there were less people that actually ended up going, but mainly staff, mainly staff. The attendees were there, but there's lots of companies that canceled a lot of their staff at the last minute.
0: Uh, Thank you so much, Marie and Doug for coming on the show. And we really enjoyed hearing more about Prenoth. And for the listeners out there, I hope you learned something new today and that you enjoyed listening about Prenath as well. Thank you.